0: The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto.
1: Well, hello there and welcome to the Disability Law Show. So good to have you tuning in today. Uh, Tamara Gopin is here, partner Firu Tamarkin LLP. They are the most positively reviewed law firm in the country hanging, uh, handling all of your uh, disability needs. If you have any questions, anytime, tuning in to this show for an hour every week, of course, is brilliant, but you can reach out as well through email and phone call. I'll give you the email address first because we get to some of these emails. In fact, yours might appear on a future show. You can use an alias if you want to. It doesn't matter. That is help at disabilityrights.ca. It's the content of the email we're interested in, not the name. So there you go. You can remain somewhat anonymous. That and the phone number anytime to reach Tamar and her team, one eight five. Five eight two one fifty nine hundred and quick memos and uh, answers about anything under the disability law umbrella can be found very simply at ltdfaq.ca really simple to use and uh, requires no name or phone number nothing just log off log on and away you go so lots to get through here on the show uh, this week tomorrow but you want to start off with the week that was what do you got uh, what he got cooking for me my friend
2: well, I'm envious of John Oliver sometimes, John, because I watch him and he always starts his show with the same, welcome, welcome, welcome. So I, yeah. I feel like that should be a good start. I should come up with my own thing. but Are we going to get hey, an, an Emmy for it, though? <laughs> I
1: don't think we'll get the Emmy.
2: We're I not going to get an Emmy,
1: but we could wish, right? I yeah. wish,
2: John. I wish. Um, you know, I, I think the, the word should be mediation, 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 because <laughs> that's what I want to talk about at the start of the show today. We We talk about it a lot only because it's such a core way that we resolve a lot of our disability claims. And, you know, we get really passionate about the work that we do and This is an opportunity for us to advocate because so few of these disability claims actually see the inside of a courtroom, thankfully for our clients, of course. So what's a mediation? Uh, For those who are new to the show, it's a non-binding settlement meeting. So there's no judge. There's no court. Frankly, since COVID, we've been doing it virtually. So Mm -hmm. like a Zoom platform. And you've got a neutral individual a mediator who many of whom we work with have been doing disability litigation for decades as well very experienced people but totally neutral in other words not going to make any judgments about who's right or wrong about the case they're just simply going to facilitate conversation around those issues between both myself and my client and what the insurance company is saying and their representative as to why they're denying the disability claim and totally privileged in other words completely confidential nothing that is said or done within the mediation context can actually be disclosed later on in you know in front of a judge or so on john which the idea of course being that it promotes open dialogue and i i find that is a really really good way to try and talk through you know fundamental disagreements right i mean it, what it comes down to is I'm saying my client meets the test of total disability under this contract. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that insurance company, you should be paying and you should have been paying from the moment you stopped paying until now, at the very least. And then let's have a conversation about what the future might look like for my client. And in essence, what we're trying to do or achieve is a buyout of a disability policy for a period of time. And the reason why I wanted to talk about mediations at the start of the show is because I'm in the midst now of actually preparing a brief on behalf of one of my clients for mediation that's coming up. Now I'm going to maintain his confidentiality and and privacy as much as I can. So let's call him Joe just for our purposes. And let me describe Joe's situation, John. He came to me about, uh, I would say about a year ago, uh, when he was still getting his benefits because the insurance company had decided after putting him through months, months of their treatment for his mental health conditions by one of their own treatment providers. After months of that, and he wasn't making any progress, they decided we're gonna try and buy him off. (laughs) So they presented him with a a settlement, a a proposal, and that proposal was, of course, a a mere fraction of what the true value of his claim could be. I think they gave him something like six months, John. And they said, if you wanna take the six months, that's fine, but you're not entitled to benefits after that he was still in active treatment, imagine. Not only um, with his own family doctor, but he also had a psychiatrist he would see and a psychologist. And in particular, I want to focus in on what his own treatment providers were saying, which was, we have tried him on nine different mental health, health medications. He has been on under regular consults and consultation and therapy, and he is still not better. And so right. the progress and the likelihood of him getting any better at least to the point that it would allow him to get back to his job is very low. Okay. But insurance companies obviously don't like this because it means that they have to continue paying your disability benefit. So instead of all of that, they tried to buy him off and he came to us for advice. And of course, I evaluated it with him as I do with anyone, and I won't get into too many of those details because long story short, he didn't accept it. And two months later, insurance company cuts him off, surprise, surprise. Here's what was interesting about the denial of the claim, John. They basically said, we just don't have enough information. And it wasn't that we don't agree that he's disabled or not disabled, because of course they knew that he would meet the test of total disability. It was just simply, we don't think we have enough medical information, even though they had their own treatment provider saying, look, after months of treatment, we just haven't gotten there with him. And the chances of that is very low. So I'm scratching my head on this one. I think it's gonna be a good one in the sense that there's some real fundamental issues that it's my job to represent this client and to actually put forward to the insurance company. Look, there are some problems here with your analysis. You approved and paid on a certain basis on medical information that was there and valid. And then you tried to decline the claim basically because you're probably kind of annoyed that he didn't take your buy-off, right? Right. Uh, The buyout of the policy. So none of this bodes well for the insurance company. They will know this, of course. And you know, for the sake of my client, though, I think what I want our listeners to understand as a takeaway is that we are, are on the precipice of a resolution. And I can assure you that that resolution is going to far exceed from a compensation perspective, whatever it was that they wanted to do to ask him to give up his rights under this policy. Wow. And It has been difficult for him, very difficult, because mental health conditions in and of themselves are a challenge, let alone adding, you know, losing your financial benefits and then having to go down the road of consulting with a lawyer and, you know, involving us with your disability claim. But I have tried to make it as easy for him as I have been able to do in order to allow him to focus on his health. And by virtue of doing that, I think it has given him a little bit of a breath to really just focus on his health. He's There's so many other issues, John. I mean, he's a primary caregiver for his wife who's got her own health issues. There's a whole host of things I can get into. But at the end of the day, what's fundamental to me is that the insurance company hastily and improperly without foundation actually cut off the claim. And we are going to take them to their task. The first step, of course, being to attempt to try and resolve this under the cone of, of uh, you know, this mediation process and if not then by all means we will continue on with the legal claim because i think you know frankly my client has a good basis to challenge the disability insurer not only for his benefits by the way but for additional damages for the impact that the insurance company has had on his mental health just by virtue of what they put him through, the rigors of the treatment, you know, the the dogged reliance on their own treatment provider to do something that his own doctors weren't able to do, uh, refusing to look at his own doctor's medical information when they made their decision to cut off the claim, and you know, they cut him off before the two-year mark as well. Mm -hmm. So the test was, look, could he go back to doing his, he had a big executive job. Um, And when you're struggling with longstanding mental health conditions, very, very difficult to say to a guy, you know, look, uh, guy, woman, doesn't matter. Go back to your own job. Right. Really, really tough proposition. So, you know, look, I like our case in terms of how it's going to frame up for the mediation purposes. And for those who might be listening, thinking, you know what, might just be worth a call. It's absolutely free, guys. You know, don't hesitate. And and I promise you, I won't walk spaghetti about uh, John Oliver and how great a show is. Uh.
1: Do you find, as compared to say, maybe five, ten years ago, mental health issues are more readily recognized by insurance companies when dealing with claims or cutoffs as well? Because, as we've mentioned so many times on the show, they don't often show up in an X-ray or a, a CT That's scan it. or whatever, right? So it's like, okay, whatever you are saying, you got a mental health issue. Show me some, show me some, some evidence beyond something written on a piece of paper, or have are they gotten a little better with that now?
2: You know, get getting better. I mean, it's it's you know what what is that scale, John? I mean, yeah. you know, getting better from it being terrible, right? <laughs> like, right. You know, I think I think with the mental health claims, there's a lot of focus around the workplace environment. Okay, I find that the insurance company's knee jerk reaction is, look, it's your workplace. This is really not a standalone mental health condition. And because it's not a standalone health, mental health condition, you might, may just want to have to make the tough choice of leaving your job and working elsewhere and then miraculously, you know, your anxiety and depression and everything else should go away. Um, I think there are some real flaws with that kind of analysis and we see that a lot. And so what ends up happening is the adjuster will get this mental health disability claim and, the, you know, one of the first things that they do is they will have a call or an email to your employer and say, hey, what what kind of employee was this person Was there any issues with their performance? Was there personality issues, disciplinary issues? And sometimes that can drive the information around whether or not they're actually going to approve your disability claim. And in my mind, that's not the right analysis to be putting onto someone who definitely has mental health conditions serious enough that their doctor is supporting a disability claim. I think that's the challenge with disability insurers is that they come from it as really from a cynical kind of perspective that this must just be for some other reason, other than the fact that you've got this legitimate, um, verifiable disability. So, yeah, you know, the fact that they can't see on a scan, that's always an issue. Oftentimes we see, look, it's subjective, uh, so therefore, you know, it must not be valid. And, And none of that is true whatsoever. I mean, yeah, you know, mental health conditions, they can vary from person to person, but it doesn't make it any more or less real. And so I think that workplace element of it can be a challenge for disability insurers and then I think the longevity of it is also challenging for insurers because you know from my limited understanding John for mental health conditions and and this is just by working with people who have these health issues not a doctor not a therapist of course but you know there's a relapsing and remitting nature of these kind of conditions so you could be diagnosed you could be treated for a while symptoms are stabilized for a little bit maybe that gets you back to work Uh, And then you may relapse again, you know, sort of six months down the road, maybe sooner, maybe longer, and so that uncertainty around how that condition may develop and be treated then becomes problematic for the disability insurer because they don't want to pay for all that, right? Right. They don't want you on and off work; they either want you back at work or not on claim. Either way, they don't want to have to pay that disability benefit. So, yeah, they've come a little ways, but I don't think uh, you know far enough, frankly.
1: And we'll take a a short break, get back into lots more. Some emails coming up. You send along anytime. Yours might appear on the show, right? Help at disabilityrights.ca and the phone number 1-855-821-5900. We'll continue. This is the Disability Law Show.
0: All right, welcome back, Disability Law Show. John Scholes here, always Tamara
1: Gopian alongside, and she's giving out the information, answering all the questions. She's who you want to reach out to anytime, and that would be uh, 1-855-821-5900, the phone number, help at disabilityrights.ca. And for any other questions, it might go to Tamara, a member of her team, or someone else uh, at the firm who's extremely capable and quick, getting back to you, MyDisabilityQuestions.com. That, by the way, is a free and anonymous uh, anonymous website. want to get into our first email tomorrow. This one comes from Min. Yep. says, I have a compression fracture in my back that has me pain and instability. I've not been able to work because of this for the past year and a half. I used to work as an assistant in a pharmacy and spent most of my days on my feet the insurance company accepted my short-term claim but denied my LTD claim. I've appealed 3 times and I keep getting ah. the same response. We know what that is. No. Do I have any options at this point?
2: Yes, men. You yeah. do have options. Ah, oh, where do I begin, John? Where do I begin? <laughs> so, look. Stop
1: appealing. That's the first that's, stop that's appealing. where you begin. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right, men. Yeah. I, and I think what's happening here is here's my suspicion. I think my suspicion is that the short-term disability claim was probably adjudicated by the insurance company. In other words, they looked at it, they made their assessment as to whether or not you met the test, and then that then got funded by your employer. Now, as you're transitioning to long-term, I guarantee you the long term is paid for by the insurance company which is why they're probably resisting men's claim uh, because really? he's been off for a little while exactly and i think what's frustrating is that he's been off for a year and a half i think is what he said yep. and so how many times has he appealed in that time frame john Three. and so i'm, I'm really <sighs> concerned right because you've only got a two-year window from the first time the insurance company denies your claim to start a legal claim so This is why the appeal process is so frustrating to lawyers like me, because it just runs down the time for you to actually do something about the claim. Start a legal claim. It takes it out of the hands of the adjuster who has now said no to you, not only the first time, but the subsequent three times, right? Every appeal. So he's now has got four denials from the insurance company. Uh, It's not going to be the same conversation when you hire a disability lawyer and start a legal claim. Because then it gets moved into their legal department, usually, or some external firm who's going to hire someone to defend the case. And the adjuster or the adjudicator is no longer the same person who said no to you so many times. It's someone from the insurance company who's appointed to deal with litigated claims and who's going to look at this in the same way that I am, which is he's got a physical job with a physical health issue. What's the disconnect here? Why is the insurance company not approving the claim? And so look, I'd want to do a deeper dive for sure with men along the lines of what his doctors are recommending, what did the insurance company actually say, did they explain why they denied the claim, but either way, this is good breeding ground for an effective disability claim. And and we work pretty fast, John. This is not something that we, you know, sometimes it's months, within months I can get a resolution with, with an insurance company when it's that obvious that the claim should have been approved from the start. Because let's not forget every month that passes where the disability insurer is wrong is another month that Min is owed disability benefits. The insurance company doesn't want to rack that up if they can avoid it. So they are motivated to get this done quickly as well. And much quicker, I find, than someone having to go through appeal after appeal. And so that is my suggestion in terms of the next option for a person like Min. You know, I think that What I would also add is it's important to have the support from a medical perspective of ongoing disability. So what does that mean? I'm certainly not saying go and see your doctor every two days because you know, you you feel like you need to justify the fact that you're still in pain. No, that's not what I'm suggesting. What I'm saying is is that you want to continue to document those issues with your doctor and ensure that you're following the medical advice that he or she has provided to you. So that could be medication, that could be treatment options, it could be exercise, it could be diet, whatever a combination of things there might be to deal with the back issue that Min describes, I would encourage him to continue to follow that advice. Because inevitably what ends up happening with that is that it creates that paper trail John. that's super helpful to challenge the disability insurer down the road you know, they're box checkers. They just want to justify in their file that they have enough information there to initiate an issue that that uh, benefit level. And, you know, I like to spoon feed that information if I can. And the best way that I do that is to provide that medical information. You know, I, I, it's not expert reports. It's not this and assessments, this sort of thing. Sometimes just the family doctor's records, the pharmacy records, maybe the physiotherapy records, those are enough. Um, but I can a- absolutely understand that if you're in men's position, you're thinking, wait a minute, I've appealed now. They've done everything I've asked, they've asked me to do. What, what's what's happening here? Why is the claim not being approved? And I'm telling you, it's because it's going to cost them money, men. Because mm-hmm. they're looking at your background, your work, your health issue, and they're thinking, hmm, are we going to actually be able to not only pay him for a little while and cut him off, But also what happens after that maybe one year or two year mark when the definition changes under these policies, John, we talk about this a lot. After a couple of years, usually the definition to continue to qualify for benefits changes and it becomes, is there anything that Min can do, anything for which he's got the basic education, training experience that would put him into a job where he would earn roughly what he's getting as his LTD benefit, which we know is never 100% usually two thirds, 60%, 65%, 67 70% of what you're earning beforehand. And so in a context of that, I suspect, the, I mean, the fallback position I know for insurance companies when they're dealing with a physical disability is to say, oh, you can do a job sitting down. You can do a sedentary occupation, yeah. even if you've got major back issues and you're probably limited not only from sitting, but standing, and walking and stretching and bending, all of the other physical things that you're not able to do. And so if they're looking at a profile like his and they're sort of projecting what might happen in a year or two and they have to make the decision about whether or not to approve under under the change of definition of the policy, maybe they're better off just cutting him off now or not approving him at all and hoping that he's just miraculously better and either goes back to his job or decides to do something else and it's not their problem. Don't, don't leave money on the table, men. That's the worst thing that you can do. The benefit is there for you to access it for exactly the situation that you're in, you're not capable of working as a result of your health, that equals having your disability benefits paid.
1: And the side benefit, and it's a huge one that we always talk about this is once, you know, after three appeals, he's probably fairly tired, ready to throw his hands up in the air and say, you know, screw this, I've had enough. But you know, once you guys get involved, that the correspondence he has directly with the insurance company that's causing him so much agita is going to stop, right? Because you guys are in the game now
2: you got it and and i can't emphasize enough how helpful that can be for my Mm -hmm. clients they they've said it to me john multiple times tomorrow the moment you got involved it just i could breathe again because i didn't have to deal with the phone calls from the adjuster and running around getting medical information or having to talk to my doctor about this or that now i can just focus on my health yes absolutely we will do all of that that is part of our services and not only that we will be the ones then driving the the bus. In other words, being the aggressive ones, pushing the insurance company to the point where they need to sit down with us and have a conversation, a reasonable one, about what the claim looks like, what is payable, you know, what the value is. All of that is going to happen in a very efficient way. And you're not gonna get that runaround anymore, man. You're not, because they know me, they know our firm, they know our team, they know how we work. Um, And we're really effective in getting these kinds of things resolved, which is good.
1: And it's also something else we, we talk about, you know, getting you involved. It just kind of made me think that a lot of people are like, okay, but tomorrow if you get involved and then the uh, the insurance company is going to call on their lawyers, now I'm getting scared because they've got their legal team. No, no, that's good because now you're not dealing with some fumbling adjuster. Now you're dealing with the legal team on the other side that understands we have got to get this thing wrapped up. We've got to get this person paid off or back on claim because this is going to get dicey and ugly for the insurance company. So it's actually good that it gets elevated to their legal team, right? You've been there.
2: Hundred percent. That's exactly what I was going to say, John. Is I've been I've been on the dark side before. I've worked with those insurance companies, and and much of our team has as well. We've got that experience. But here's why it's really good. They know us, and we know them like really well, John. I mean, the thing we used to do all the time when we had paper claims, we don't have that anymore. Now it's electronic. But, you know, back in the day when we had paper claims, I, you know, we would flip to the back and see who who's the lawyer on this legal claim. And as soon as you saw the lawyer, you knew exactly what the claim was going to be. You know, how difficult it was going to be or how easy it was going to be. All of those things, you know, is this someone I can deal with and work with, and make a deal with, all this sort of thing. And I think that what our listeners may not appreciate is that we use that to our advantage. <laughs> Maybe I I, sure. I whispered to John because I don't really know we're out there in the radio stratosphere here but but it, it is a very very helpful scenario because the lawyers all talk the same language about the cases, the law, what the court is going to do with a profile like this. What's the, you know, attitude towards certain disability claims? What's the recent decisions around damages? You know, this is all part of the conversation that your adjuster just simply doesn't know. They're, you know, to some extent, they're there to make widgets, right? So they look at, you know, two sentences in the policy. They try and line that up with two pieces of your medical. And they're, you know, the mantra is, look, if you can cut off the claim or deny the claim, do it. And if there's a basis to do it, do it. And that is all they have as their um realm or scope whereas the legal team the lawyer and the individual at the insurance company assigned for your matter will look at greater nuances and other aspects of it how, again you know how this would look how this would play out in front of a judge or a jury because, not only are they looking at your individual claim, they're looking at the reputation of the company. You know, could this be a true exposure for damages? There's a whole host of other elements that if they exist in your claim, that your just or simply wouldn't appreciate and wouldn't quantify. That's the key. Put dollars next to it, John, so that we can get a great result for our clients to get not only their disability benefits paid, but hopefully something a little bit on top too.
1: Again, reaching out anytime and don't hesitate just to have that conversation. one 821 5900 is the way you do that. Help at disabilityrights.ca. Sometimes the insurance company is going to come and knock in and have you or at least request that you get assessed by one of their doctors. Could be in person, could be a paper review, which made no sense to me ever. I don't know why they do that, but should someone be worried at that point that their benefits could be or on the, on the, on the horizon of getting cut off?
2: Hey, yeah, I mean, it's part of the toolkit for adjusters, right, is that they have these different options to access, you know, medical resources to, quote unquote, help them better understand and, uh, you know, adjudicate your disability claim. Uh, But you're right that if they are taking that step, John, I'd be weary. And and I think it's fair to be weary. Now, we talk about two different kinds of assessments. You're right, there could be just a paper review. So what is that? Uh, Insurance companies have doctors at their disposal and they, will, they say that they randomly will send your file to one of their doctors. I don't know how random it is, John, but anyway, uh, they'll send it to their doctor and they won't call you. They're, they're not talking to you if you're a claimant. They're, they're not even talking to your doctors or your therapist right. or anyone. They're just looking at the paper, truly, and and only the paper that's been provided by the adjuster. So not everything, whatever the adjuster thought the doctor should see, that's all they see. So they look at that and they're asked typically, you know, four or five questions. The core of those questions is, look, can this person work? Okay. And they try and use that then as the basis to say, look, we get it. Your doctor's saying you should be off work, but our doctor's saying you can work. So we're going to cut off your claim based on this paper review. It boggles my mind, John, that, that it can happen that way because the courts have said, look, we're not relying on paper reviews. Like We're relying on people who actually, actually see and treat. A patient, uh, what conclusions they draw from that as the better way of assessing if someone is in fact meeting the test of total disability. So the paper review, as far as I'm concerned, generally is not worth the paper it's written on, uh, quite frankly. But if the insurance company then takes the additional step of an assessment, so actually has you seen by one of their own doctors, then that's a little bit different because there's a couple of different types of assessments they can do the one type that I've seen, John, is usually for rehab purposes. So we want to set up a treatment plan with one of our own treatment providers. So we want to assess where your starting point is at and set some goals uh, to try and improve your health with a certain treatment, but with the ultimate goal that you're going to get back to work. So if they think that spending money, more money on your file by giving you some rehab and an assessment is going to close your claim sooner than later, then they will go ahead and do that. Right. And then the other type of assessment is called an independent medical examination. But I why don't we do this? Let's talk about this when we pick it up after our next break. And I'll talk to you a little bit more about IMEs.
1: We will do that. And in the meantime, some contact information as we get into break, 1-855-821-5900. That might be the proper way you want to go about having a lengthier conversation with Tamar and her team. You can also email. It might end up on a show sometime. Help at disabilityrights.ca. And for quick memos on LTD, anything under the topic, really easy to use, free, anonymous. It's all like, it's like using Lego. Couldn't be simpler. LTDFAQ.ca.
0: We'll continue with more of the disability law show. Hang on. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. Yeah, welcome
1: back, Disability Law Show. Tamara Gopian, always here, eager and uh, ready to answer your questions anytime through email when we're not doing this hour of the show. Help at disabilityrights.ca, 1855 Eight two one fifty nine hundred. Any other questions can be uh, asked anonymously, by the way, at MyDisabilityQuestions.com. That website, you just punch in your question, searchable database. It may have been asked previously, so you can look for that as well. If not, leave it there, and it will be responded to. We were talking just before the break uh, tomorrow, you know, getting cut off in, in light of the insurance company saying, hey, go see one of our doctors because we definitely want to stop paying you is what it's going to come down to. Yeah. Uh, pick it up where you left off, pal.
2: Absolutely. So, you know, I, I think our listeners should understand that there's a reasonable degree of weariness that comes with being assessed by one of the insurance company's doctors. And whether that's to set up a treatment plan or actually to do what's called an independent medical examination, which I'll explain what it is in a moment. Either way, it's sort of the beginning of the end, I think, because the insurance company is actually spending more money towards the file in order to get the closure. Mm. There's one insurer, actually, John, that does a cost-benefit analysis. They'll actually look at, okay, if we keep the claim open for another six months and pay the benefit, what does that look like versus let's do an examination or assessment now, and then we can cut it off in a month, you know, and and what's that worth? And and they'll look at the pros and cons, and then they'll decide financially, you know, what they're going to do. Because let us be clear, these insurance companies are profit-making companies. They want to make money. The way they do that is that they take in the premium and they try and pay out as little as they can. That's how they satisfy their shareholders. So if they're spending money on your file to get you assessed or do rehab or do an IME, you know that that's typically because they've decided at some point their claim is gonna end. But there are things that you can do to protect yourself. And I think with any sort of assessment like this, the key is really to try and make sure that you've got your own medical team on board that they're aware that you're gonna do this, that you take your own notes about what happened afterwards, how you were feeling, how long was the assessment. All of those things are really, really important because if a report is generated and there will be a report after they do this assessment, you want that report. You wanna get a copy of that. You wanna see what was said. You wanna see what the conclusions are so that you can share that with your own doctor, your own treatment provider to have them respond. If they've concluded, the insurance companies, people, that is, that you can work and like work tomorrow, go back to work. We've assessed you. You're fine. Uh, you really want to make sure that you've got people on your side to say, well, hang on. But remember when you tested her on this part and when you tested on that part, whether it be physical or mental health or both. If there are gaps in those assessments, you want those gaps highlighted by your own medical team. But let's talk about independent medical examinations, in particular IMEs these are experts, John. The, these are paid hired guns by the insurance company. I mean, the bias is already there to begin with. They're in a select group. They are specialized typically. And their job really in order to keep getting these referrals from the insurance company is to make sure they give the harshest you know, conclusion that they can, that an individual oh. can work. And so look, has there been IMEs that I've seen where they are somewhat favorable to a claimant? Yes, absolutely. And so I don't want individuals to be too worried about, look, what's the conclusion? Either way, there are ways to support your disability claim, regardless of whether you undergo one of these examinations or assessments. There's actually really helpful information. I think John sort of said it at the top of our show. And again, through our breaks on the ltdfaq.ca. You know, I think that when you go through what our memos say there's one in particular about assessments and IMEs and at the end of the day you want to go into it with your eyes wide open but also understanding that this could be one of the tools in which the insurance company uses to close out your claim.
1: And with that, you can reach out any time, 1-855-821-5900. William is our guy. Next email to go here, Tamar says, Hey, Tamar was receiving LTD benefits for a while and started seeing a psychotherapist that the insurer recommended. I was encouraged to engage in outdoor activities like hikes and golf, but then the insurance company eventually used that against me to cut off my claim after conducting surveillance. I'm still not well enough to work. What can I do?
2: So, look, this is the challenge that I have with individuals like William when they are being treated by the doctor or therapist that the insurance company recommended. This is why I typically say, look, you know, if the insurer is saying we you need, let's say, certain type of therapy, I don't know, cognitive behavior therapy or some sure. kind of specific psychological treatment, I would say, okay, thank you very much, insurance company. I'm going to get a referral from my own doctor about who to consult and who to see so that you can create a little bit of arms length between the insurance company and the treatment provider because if the treatment provider is ultimately being paid for by the insurance company which is what i just said moments ago there's an inherent bias there john and so maybe they will be encouraging you to do certain things and then what what do they do lo and behold they turn around and use that against you to cut off your claims it's shameful uh, it, it almost feels like kind of like entrapment right Um, And so look, not a great situation when you don't have your own treatment provider to justify in situations like this, that they did give you the green light to do certain activities as a means of recovering, as a means of helping you through your mental health conditions. And this is very typical. You know, I see this a lot. You know, there's exposure therapy and other tools and, and strategies used for individuals who are struggling with their health to encourage them to do certain activities to get them back into the right frame of mind, the right state of health. The the difficulty is, is that insurance companies like to find inconsistencies. Again, they come at it from a very cynical perspective. And one of the ways they do that is to try and get some surveillance. And so they'll have an investigator come out and watch you for a couple of days, and then they'll generate a report and the insurance company will use that and say, well, look, you have this level of function, you're able to do all these other things, so this must mean that you can work. But it doesn't mean that. that that conclusion is flawed in and of itself. So if I'm William, I'm not worried about it because if he's been open and honest with the treatment provider and the insurance company about his level of activity, there is no inconsistency. Surveillance is not compelling then at that point. And frankly, I find it to be very unhelpful generally with mental health conditions anyway. So they saw you walking your dog or playing around a golf. If you know your doctor has endorsed it and said, look, you should do this to on your path of recovery. Why wouldn't you? You're going to follow medical advice in doing that. I think where it becomes more problematic is if you are in a situation where there is some inconsistency, where you said, I'm laid up in bed every single day, but they see you every day out doing some level of activity. I think that inconsistency in and of itself could be problematic. Only because then it brings into doubt potentially everything else that you've reported or the conclusions that may have been drawn by the treatment providers about your ability to work or not work. So function is key here, but I'm not worried about it so long as the doctors have endorsed that he is, you know, should be doing these things as part of his recovery.
1: And with that, again, short break. We still got some minutes to go. Uh, anytime, not even uh, right here, the here and now, but you can send along an email to tomorrow and their team anytime. Always get an answer from them. Even make the phone call if you want it even quicker, 1-855-821-5900, or send that email to help at disabilityrights.ca. And for short, concise memos on LTD, simple to understand, even I can do it. LTDFAQ.ca is where you want to go. Short break will continue. A few minutes to go right here on the disability law show. Show.
0: You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. All right. Welcome back.
1: Disability Law Show. John Scholes, of course, with me, Tamara Gopi and partner Sam Firou, Tamarkin LLP. I want to reach out to Tamara and her team anytime. Always. Ready and willing to take that phone call, have a chat. There's, uh, you know, there's no, no charge for it just to pick up a phone, right? One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Help at disabilityrights.ca. We were talking about surveillance in the ins and outs. That always makes people nervous every time if they're being watched. Now, when you're uh, when you're advancing a legal claim tomorrow for a client, of course, does the insurance company's approach change if there's surveillance that was done in your client? What do you think?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. So. Generally, I would say no. I actually don't find it to be all that compelling uh, because even if we think back to you know William's email that we talked about in our prior segment, I mean, if you know the surveillance is only a screenshot, a, t- a small time frame in which so- somebody might be found doing something, um, and of course it's all contextual, right? So if it's something that the insurance company should have expected you to do, then it's not all that compelling in the end, John. When you've got a legal claim, it doesn't really matter. I think that. Most courts have even recognized that. a lot of, There's a lot of recent decisions, one in particular that I can think of, I think we've talked about this on the show, where there was a massive damages award against the insurance company by a jury in Ontario recently, where the insurance company had done hundreds of hours of surveillance. And the court had only really accepted like 20 hours of it, I think. And even then it was quite dismissive of clearly the impact that it had or the focus of actually trying to undermine the claimant's disability claim because the claimant got got the award the damages award and the the disability benefits paid so in the context of that my my sense is the trend is that surveillance isn't really doing what insurance companies think it's doing which is attacking essentially the credibility of a claimant in other words you know are they being truthful or not truthful about their level of capacity to work or function and do their day-to-day activities But that's really what it's after, right? And so, and in a sneaky way, I think I would say. And so, for example, I can think of one insurer where they'll send you a form that says, can you fill out what you're doing every day, like a journal. And exactly on those days, they will initiate surveillance. And they'll actually look to see if you were honest about what you did that day versus what their investigator actually saw you do. And if there's a disconnect, they're going to tell you about it. And they're going to use that as a basis to cut off your claim and that always puzzles me john because you know if it's something that's endorsed by your doctors or is consistent with your disability it doesn't mean anything it doesn't get you there you know there's nothing really inherently problematic about it but people do worry about it and i think that that's what worries me frankly is that just because you have a disability claim doesn't mean the expectation is that you're a prisoner in your own home that's unless that's part of your health issue but at the end of the day, you know, you absolutely can attend medical appointments, you can go grocery shopping, you can do certain things, as long as it's within the confines of what your health permits you to do, and what your doctors have allowed you to do. And so, you know, I think that's really what it comes down to in my mind is that it's it doesn't really change my approach on a claim on a legal claim with an insurance company, even if they have surveillance, unless it's really plain and obvious, like, I can't run and then you see the claimant running something like that, like really really obvious Um, and running like every day. That's the other thing. (laughs) So, um, you know, unless they really do have that kind of consistent, those consistent observations, I don't see it as compelling or as persuasive as the insurance companies, frankly, want it to be.
1: Well, I, I think part of that that reason is as well that they could do, I mean, two things. Number one, they could do hours and hours of surveillance. And if it shows nothing, that plays to your benefit. Um, and secondly, it's going to cost them. So they're going to want to get some value for their money. So they're probably going to try to cherry pick something out of there, right?
2: As they often do. The, the uh. cherry picking is classic with insurance companies. They do that with surveillance. They'll do that with you know rehab treatment records. They'll do that with medical records. They'll just pick and choose the things that they think supports the closure of the claim or some other, you know, uh, theory that they have that, oh, you're not being truthful or you could work for sure or you have a greater level of capacity to do certain things. And it doesn't work that way. And I know it's hard for people to listen thinking, well, but tomorrow then why are they, you know, cutting off the claim? Well, they're cutting it off because then they don't have to pay you and they're banking on the fact that you're not going to do anything about it. Right? But please, you should be challenging the disability insurer. You should be getting legal advice. It's free, at least from us. Free consultations, free information on our websites. You know, at least inform yourself as to what your rights are. But I can tell you that the courts have said specifically they have to take a holistic approach the insurance companies must look at everything together. They can't actually do the cherry picking. And when they do, they get their wrists slapped. So look, they're not, an adjuster's not going to say that to a claimant. A claimant won't know that unless they're informing themselves somehow. Uh, But at the end of the day, I can tell you that it's very effective in the context of a legal claim. When we say to the insurer, you cherry picked, and you ignore this part and that part and by the way the other part where it said that my client cannot work and they meet the test of total disability.
1: Do Does all the, whether well, it's 20 minutes or 20 hours of surveillance that the insurance company uh, commissions, do that, does that all have to be legally turned over to you?
2: That's a good question, yes. I mean, nice. yes, generally. Um, what insurers like to do is they will try and protect it by way of privilege post-litigation. In other words, If it's generated within the context of a legal claim, they'll say, we've got it, but we're not relying upon it, so we're not gonna fully disclose it to you. Uh, But I'm finding generally most insurers, once they do it, they do actually wanna share it with you because they do wanna use it as part of the record uh, going forward as part of the basis or evidence they have Mm -hmm. for the claim. So there's, there's some technicalities around that, John. But a generally speaking, yes, disclosure is part of the process. Certainly, if that surveillance was obtained before we got involved through the adjudication of the claim, we are entitled to all of it, all the footage, all the details, all the pictures, all of that. And it is part of routinely what I ask the insurance company to provide when I get involved with a legal claim.
1: And with that, we are done for another show. Appreciate your correspondence and sending in your emails and tuning uh, tuning in with us again this hour. We'll do it all again soon. In the meantime, reaching out, 1-855-821-5900, help at disabilityrights.ca. That's where we pull the emails from every show. And then finally, quick notations and memos on LTD. Super easy to understand. Just spend some time on the website. Absolutely free and anonymous, by the way, ltdfaq.ca. We'll catch you next time. Disability Law Show.